Deuteronomy chapter 12. Now, I was reading a little news article some time ago in the Detroit Free Press, and the name of the article was Remedy for a Prune Face. (laughs) And it said, if you want to stay younger, join a church choir. Because people who sing stay younger looking. Then they gave the rationale. The article said that a singer's muscles, face muscles, are so well developed and toned that they don't have as many or show as many wrinkles. Now, I don't know the validity of that. It was in the Detroit Free Press, but it does, it does play to an issue. If that were so, if it were so that a singer seems to stay better, keep better, you might say, then it speaks to the whole issue of why we exist. And it's not just singing. But the big question everybody has in this world is, why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? And the question of every redeemed person ought to be, why was I saved? For what purpose was I redeemed? There's a great old hymn. I think it was uh, Fanny Crosby wrote it. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. But why? Why were you redeemed? Why does the church exist? You could give a lot of answers. You could say, well, we exist to spread the gospel around the world. We do, but that's not the primary reason. You could say, well, we exist so that we could train up other Christians to make them stronger. Well, we do that too, but that's not the primary reason. The primary reason we exist is to give glory to God. We exist for His pleasure. Revelation chapter 4. For thy pleasure all things were created. And that flies against sort of the modern thinking that God exists to please us. A lot of people live their lives that way. They think that the world is some gigantic, cosmic playpen. And God sort of owes them fulfillment and pleasure. And that's what they seek after. The truth is we exist for Him. And we exist, therefore, to worship Him. And that's why we find such great fulfillment whenever we do. Because... When we worship God, and I just don't mean by singing, I mean as a lifestyle. We are fulfilling the reason we were created. We're fulfilling the reason that God is looking for. You remember the story when Jesus met a woman of Samaria at a well. And they engaged in sort of a surface conversation. At least that's how the woman wanted to keep it. Sir, why are you asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And she continued this very cute conversation. Until finally Jesus said, hey, go call your husband. And she probably answered back with the same kind of tone in her voice. I don't have a husband. And then Jesus nailed it. You're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five And you're now living in sin with a man who's not your husband. So you're right. You don't have a husband. Then suddenly she gets really spiritual. 
Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) And it's interesting how she shifts the conversation from water to worship. And I, I, it's funny. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and as soon as the Lord uses you to touch the deep area of their life and they start feeling convicted a little bit, they want to turn the conversation on to how, well, churches don't always agree and how come this group is against this group and this group fights that group and you guys can't even get it together. Well, that's sort of what the woman does. Our fathers say, this is the mountain where one ought to worship. You Jews say it's Jerusalem. You know Jesus' answer. Woman, it doesn't matter. The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers aren't going to hang out in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. But true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And of such, the Father is seeking. Did you get that? God is looking for authentic worshipers. What is an authentic worship? Authentic worship is based in spirit and in truth. And at another night, we'll cover that on another worship night. But I want you to... Well, you've already turned to Deuteronomy chapter 12. And you probably know that three times a year, the people of Israel were commanded to gather together as an entire nation, those who were close enough to the city of Jerusalem were to make it from their town, their village, young'uns, old'uns, middle'uns, all of them come together and worship corporately in Jerusalem for three great feasts. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. But I want to draw your attention to a couple verses. Back in verse 4 of chapter 12 of Deuteronomy, there's an interesting command. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all the tribes to put his name for his habitation. And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstlings of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Scoot down to verse 11. Then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithes, heave offerings of your hands, all your choice offerings, which you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons, your daughters, your men servants, your maid servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Go down to verse 18. But you must eat them before the Lord, all the sacrifices, all the offerings. You must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, and your maidservant, and the Levite who is within your gates. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. 
The word rejoice is samach in Hebrew. It means to brighten up or to lighten up or to cheer up. And I find it interesting that God commands that when his people gather together corporately, there is to be an element of joy. They're never to forget to rejoice before the Lord and to rejoice in the Lord. I've always found it interesting that bars have a thing called happy hour. And the people in happy hour don't really seem that happy. Unless they so douse their problems away that they're loopy and then they're happy about anything. And I've always thought that though church should be serious about Bible study, etc., etc., this ought to be the happiest hour of the week. And Sunday morning ought to be happy hour. Charles Spurgeon said something interesting. He said, our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A cheerful people is in keeping with his nature. And you say, well, what do we have to be so happy about? Have you checked the Bible lately? Psalm 32. Oh, how happy is the man who has been forgiven. Hey, you've been forgiven of all your sins. You're not going to hell. That ought to keep you happy the rest of your life. It ought to. Every time you see the word blessed, it means happy. Oh, how happy. Oh, how cheerful. The Beatitudes, blessed, 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 all about the happy life in concert with God. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, I wanted to join the ministry once. Until I discovered that most pastors look so much like undertakers, I decided not to. I hope I don't look like an undertaker. Not that I have anything against undertakers. And if you are one tonight, I hope you're a happy one. Because I want to be buried with a smile. And Robert Louis Stevenson wrote in his journal one time, I went to church today and I'm not depressed. Rejoice in the Lord. And so three times in this chapter, maybe indicative of these three feasts, they're called to rejoice, their families, their servants, with all that they have, with all their might, to rejoice before the Lord. There was an old preacher that I've read. I've really enjoyed him. He's a century old, just about. William Sankster. William Sankster developed a disease that is worse for any preacher to develop. He became so paralyzed that eventually his vocal cords became paralyzed. Now, mine were bad this weekend, but his were paralyzed. He couldn't speak. And shortly before his death, it was on an Easter Sunday, he had just enough strength to write a frail little note to his son. And this is what the note said. How tragic to wake up Easter morning and have no voice to shout, He is risen. But it's far worse to have a voice and not want to shout. 
It's far worse to have a voice and not sing when we come together. It's far worse to have a voice and not rejoice before the Lord, whether we feel like it or not, He's worthy.